You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back from the break. My name is Dustin Gold. You are listening to the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv. All right, folks, let's pick up where we left off. I'm not going to go back because these paragraphs or these sections are rather long, so I don't want to go back and have to re-explain it. So if you're interested, please just go listen to episode 125, parts 1 through 4. All right, this is paragraph 29. It says, here is an illustration of the way in which the over-socialized leftist shows his real attachment to the conventional attitudes of our society while pretending to be in rebellion against it. Many leftists push for affirmative action, for moving black people into high-prestige jobs, for improved education in black schools and more money for such schools. The way of life of the black underclass they regard as a social disgrace. They want to integrate the black man into the system, make him a business executive, a lawyer, a scientist, just like upper-middle-class white people. The leftists will reply that the last thing they want is to make the black man into a copy of the white man. Instead, they want to preserve African-American culture. But in what does this preservation of African-American culture consist? It can hardly consist in anything more than eating black-style food, listening to black-style music, wearing black-style clothing, and going to a black-style church or mosque. In other words, it can express itself only in superficial matters. In all essential respects, most leftists of the over-socialized type want to make the black man conform to white middle-class ideals. They want to make him study technical subjects, become an executive or a scientist, spend his life climbing the status ladder to prove that black people are as good as white. They want to make black fathers, quote, responsible, end quote. They want black gangs to become nonviolent, etc. But these are exactly the values of the industrial technological system. The system couldn't care less what kind of music a man listens to, what kind of clothes he wears, or what religion he believes in, as long as he studies in school, holds a respectable job, climbs the status ladder, is a, quote, responsible, end quote, parent, is nonviolent, and so forth. In effect, however, much he may deny it, the over-socialized leftist wants to integrate the black man into the system and make him adopt its values. So, folks, when he's referring to this, when the author's referring to this, going back here to 1995, for those of you that are younger or you haven't been paying attention to this, this was a big pushback then, affirmative action and trying to integrate the black man into what he calls this industrial system. 
Although the community organizers, the leftist activists, the progressives, whatever they may be, maybe think in their minds and their hearts they're doing the right thing, uh, what they're doing is exactly what the author talks about, trying to push these people that they consider to be lesser than them, whether they realize it or not, they see them as lesser, into the very system in which they claim to be fighting against they are fighting the man but trying to merge the black man into the man's system so they are therefore trying to re erase uh, african-american culture this is no different than what we've been covering here over the last several episodes with the economic terrorists, the International Monetary Fund, the Bank for International Settlements, the World Bank, these organizations uh, that go in to these countries that they consider to be poor or poverty stricken when they look at it in terms of uh, comparing it to a so-called capitalist society or a materialistic consumer-driven society, which is actually more accurate, they go in and they find these indigenous folks and they say, look at these disenfranchised people. We can come and save them by giving them Nike t-shirts and Disney Channel backpacks. And that's what happens. So they're actually going in and trying to engineer them into the system. The IMF, the BIS, and the World Bank, I believe, are doing it because they know exactly what they're doing. They're trying to take hold of those people's territories, countries, because they're going to go in and steal their natural resources and drive them into the prison planet state system. But the people on the ground that work for the World Bank, BIS, IMF, these are true believers. They're young people that went to college for this. They were indoctrinated with this. And it's the same that was going on here in 95 with black folks and you'll see this mentality and this attitude alive and well today talk to a social worker talk to a community activist talk to any of these government workers you're going to see this alive and well today but he's pointing out the hypocrisy the hypocrisy and this is important because we're going to get into we're already discussing it really the psychology of humanity what has actually happened we're going to be talking more about this momentarily all right paragraph 30 it says we certainly do not claim that leftists even of the over socialized type never rebel against the fundamental values of our society clearly they sometimes do some over socialized leftists have gone so far as to rebel against one of modern society's most important principles by engaging in physical violence by their own account violence is for them a form of quote liberation end quote in other words by committing violence they break through the psychological restraints that have been trained into them because they are over socialized these restraints have been more confining for them than others Hence, their need to break free of them. But they usually justify their rebellion in terms of mainstream values. If they engage in violence, they claim to be fighting against racism or the like. And you saw a lot of this happen in the last uh, few years with Antifa, you know, the anti-fascist with BLM, Black Lives Matter. Right, you see this, I, I mean, even in a sense, uh, and I wouldn't even say the January 6th thing was really violent, but you see this, right? So they're breaking free of the system by committing violence, but then they blame the violence 
on uh, the social issues that they consider themselves to be bound by, right? So BLM obviously would say we're burning down cities uh, and flipping over police cars because we're fighting back against systemic racism or the anti-fascist Antifa will say they're fighting back against, you know, oppression or they're fighting against fascist Trump and they're all for democracy or whatever it may be, right? And I shouldn't really have even brought January 6th into that because January 6th is really connected to the right, not the leftists. And we're talking about the leftists. And in my eyes, January 6th was really just completely concocted and orchestrated anyway. Yeah, there were real people there that got pulled into it. And that's really the same as Black Lives Matter and uh, Antifa and these movements and tear down the statue and all this other nonsense. It's really just uh, orchestrated by community organizers, paid for by the elites and then yes on the ground 95 percent of the people are actually real but because of the hive mind they get driven into this stuff you know they go along uh with the crowd and as this author has discussed these people have a very hard time operating as individuals this is why they hate individualism because they really have low self-esteem inferiority complex they don't believe in themselves and so they need to be part of a team part of a group so they get driven into these packs by the elitist through their community organizers and then they'll do whatever the pack is actually doing it all serves a uh, purpose. It's all part of psychological warfare. And we're going to eventually uh, go deep into psychological warfare. I found an author who's written some really good books that I've reached out to, and I'm going to try to get them on uh, this show. In fact, I'm willing to actually criticize myself at some point because <laughs> based on what this author wrote, uh, I'm actually taking part in apparently the psychological warfare. I, I don't want to be part of it, but apparently this author uh, says that people that are trying to explain it are actually getting pulled into the psychological warfare and becoming poor, part of the operation. I will explain that um, in an upcoming show, folks. I just took a note of it. All right, epi- uh, paragraph 31 It says, we realize that many objections could be raised to the foregoing thumbnail sketch of leftist psychology. The real situation is complex, and anything like a complete description of it would take several volumes, even if the necessary data were available. We claim only to have indicated very roughly the two most important tendencies in the psychology of the modern leftist. And what he's talking about is over-socialization and inferiority complex. Again, if you want to understand that, go back to episode uh, 125. It says here, paragraph 32, the problems of the leftists are indicative of the problems of our society as a whole. Low self-esteem, depressive tendencies, and defeatism are not restricted to the left. Though they are especially noticeable in the left, they are widespread in our society. And today's society tries to socialize us to a greater extent than any previous society. We are even told by experts how to eat, how to exercise, how to make love, how to raise our kids, and so forth. And that's what I was explaining to you. That this is not, this is not confined to the left. There's folks that identify on the right. There's folks that don't even care about politics that suffer from inferiority complex and over-socialization. And as you're reading 
or listening to me read this document, you should also understand this idea that he's talking about socialization and this over-socialization of society. He's talking about how we are um socialized to a greater extent than any other previous society and he's pointing this out 28 years ago in 1995 you have to think of that as what we've already identified here which is the science of social engineering that comes out of the very definition of technocracy by the technocrats themselves so in this paper so far getting up to paragraph 32 We've already identified this author talking about technocracy, which he happens to call the industrial technological system. That's technocracy. And he's talking about the definition of it, the science of social engineering. How do you socially engineer society into the system? And when he's referring to the system, he's talking about the industrial technological system. That's technocracy. So he's really breaking down the psychology of how the system of technocracy engineers people into the system of technocracy folks i'm telling you this was written in 1995 it is mind-blowing we'll talk about it when we're all done i am not sure if this paper was really written by the guy that it was credited to and he was actually a prophet predicting all this stuff explaining it all or if maybe the guy it's credited to was a patsy or maybe he was some kind of a mind-controlled messenger. I don't really know. We know the government mind controls. That's all real. It's not conspiracy theory. Uh, we've shown you this. They admit it in their own uh, papers, documents, speeches, all their government mad scientists, Frankenstein doctors talk about it. So maybe the guy was a mind-controlled messenger who was really just bringing forth revelation of method, revealing the method giving us an opportunity to revolt and if we don't revolt then the guys in power through their dark spirituality that we've talked about with dan Golvach and we'll get into with mark when he is on saturday that it keeps their conscience clear their karma intact because they told us what's going to happen maybe this is no different than the matrix or 1984 or brave new world it's just revelation of method and this is how they get away with doing it in their weird, dark, you know, spiritual ways. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's take a short break. Think about this stuff. We're going to be right back. Very important section called the power process. This is going to explain exactly why humans are so out of whack. I'll be right back. This is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. Join the discussion at Payne.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dust and Gold Standard right here on Payne.tv slash gold. My name is Dustin Gold. And ladies and gentlemen, I had taken off during the last segment my gold aviators. 
that I wear because it matches the logo I made of myself. I do wear sunglasses in real life, so it wasn't a stretch. I never really was into the gold uh, sunglasses, but I took those off because sometimes it's hard to read the screen. I'm looking through some cables, and so I took them off. But now I, I also remembered why I have them on. One is because it helps uh, with the studio light that's in front of me. And number two, uh, my screen that I do my producing on is over to the left. And so when I turn my head, sometimes you don't see where my eyes go. So I figure for the uh, video audience, you're not going to notice it that much. Now you see me actually looking off to the left to my production screen. I don't know. One day, maybe we'll stack screens or something, or I'll have a producer. But for now... That's the way it is. All right, let's jump right back into this Industrial Society and its Future 1995 paper. We'll talk about the author when we're all done with this, folks, and it's going to take a few episodes to get through this. So we're on a section called The Power Process. Paragraph 33, human beings have a need, probably based in biology, for something that we will call the power process. This is closely related to the need for power which is widely recognized, but it is not quite the same thing. The power process has four elements. The three most clear-cut of these we call goal, effort, and attainment of goal. Everyone needs to have goals whose attainment requires effort and needs to succeed in attaining at least some of his goals. The fourth element is more difficult to define and may not be necessary for everyone. We call it autonomy, and we will discuss it later in paragraphs 42 to 44. All right, you understand this? It's great, actually, because we've been talking about goals, solutions, how you're going to reach those goals here. So what he is saying is that wired into humans is this power process, and the three most clear-cut of the elements contained within the power process are goal, effort, and attainment of goal. And you have to attain at least some of those goals, right? That's just how it works. You're going to end up depressed and you're going to hate yourself. And then the fourth one is autonomy. And we'll get into that a little later. It says number 34, consider the hypothetical case of a man who can have anything he wants just by wishing for it. Such a man has power, but he will develop serious psychological problems. At first, he will have a lot of fun, but by and by he will become acutely bored and demoralized. Eventually, he may become clinically depressed. History shows that leisured aristocracies tend to become decadent. This is not true of fighting uh, aristocracies that have to struggle to maintain their power, but leisured, secure aristocracies that have no need to exert themselves usually become bored, uh, hedonistic, and demoralized, even though they have power. This shows that power is not enough. One must have goals toward which to exercise one's power. Do you under, I think that's pretty clear cut, folks. I mean, do you understand that? So if you have power, right, but everything comes to you so easy, 
you're going to still end up depressed. I mean, let's look at it from the point of money, right? Where the people say money does not buy happiness. Well, if you're a trust fund kid with endless amounts of money, you see a lot of these folks out there depressed. They become drug addicts, alcoholics. Why? Because they're not getting up and doing anything. They're not working towards any goals. They don't have to work extra hours to get the money they need because they want to buy their kid a bunk bed or whatever it may be. They're not saving up to get that homestead. They're not out there gardening uh, in uh, March so that in April and May they can start to eat these delicious heirloom tomatoes because everything comes to them so easily. Uh, paragraph 35 everyone has goals if nothing else to obtain the physical necessities of life food water and whatever clothing and shelter are made necessary by the climate but the leisured aristocrat obtains these things without effort hence his boredom and demoralization all right that's what we just discussed 36 Non-attainment of important goals results in death if the goals are physical necessities. And in frustration, if non-attainment of the goals is compatible with survival. Consistent failure to attain goals throughout life results in defeatism, low self-esteem, or depression. All right. Are you, are you grasping what's going on? So the author here, he's breaking this down. What is naturally wired into humans. We're going to get into more depth on this. So I don't want to talk too much because I'm going to end up giving it away because I've read this several times in my life. So I don't want to jump the gun. All right, let's continue. Paragraph 37. Thus, in order to avoid serious psychological problems, a human being needs goals whose attainment requires effort and he must have a reasonable rate of success in attaining his goals right so you need to have goals you need to exert effort to achieve the goals and you need to have some sort of a reasonable rate of success right you have to succeed at achieving some of those goals in order to keep you marching forward and not end up drowning yourself in a bottle and uh, we're going to get into some of that with my friend Steve, who's going to be coming on the show soon. He is a life coach now who overcame alcoholism and depression, divorce, and a bunch of other stuff. I think he's going to help inspire folks that are out there, not just those that have uh, issues like that, but folks that just need a little kick in the butt, you know, to get out there and start working towards your goals. All right, let's look at surrogate activities. Paragraph 38. But not every leisured aristocrat becomes bored and demoralized. For example, the emperor Hirohito, instead of sinking into decadent hedonism, devoted himself to marine biology, a field in which he became distinguished. When people do not have to exert themselves to satisfy their physical needs, they often set up artificial goals for themselves. In many cases, they then pursue these goals with the same energy and emotional involvement that they otherwise would have put into the search for physical necessities. Thus, the aristocrats of the Roman Empire had their literary pretensions. Many European aristocrats a few centuries ago invested tremendous time and energy in hunting, though they certainly didn't need the meat. Other aristocracies have competed for status through elaborate displays of wealth, and a few aristocrats like Hirohito have turned to science. Now, this is really important. 
And I hope I'm going to be able to do justice to this and break it down for you. Because first you're talking about the power process. And and, uh, this will be explained, but let me just say it now. Think about 200 years ago before the industrial boom, right? Before the world that we're living under today, technocracy. And I don't know, you lived out in a little cabin with your wife and your nine children. Uh, Let's say you're, you're a guy. I'm talking to the guys here. All right, so... You're living out in a cabin with your wife and your nine children, and every day you have to wake up and go out into the woods uh, through the rain, through the snow, through the storms, through whatever it may be, freezing cold, and you have to go kill a deer or a couple of rabbits or whatever it may be to bring that food home to your family, right? Your wife... She wakes up every day, and she's taking care of the house. She's cooking the food. She's raising the children. She's actually exerting a lot of energy doing this. She might go out into the cold, the same as you, and go gather. She may be picking potatoes. She may be uh, scrounging together mushrooms in the woods, whatever it may be. But you guys are exerting your energy towards the things that you actually need to survive that day. If you fail you will starve. If you fail, you may die or one of your children may die. So you're out there exerting this energy. Your goal is to get a deer. Your wife's goal is to collect a basket of potatoes. Uh, Both of you are working to protect the family, make sure a grizzly bear or some guy who's coming to steal your meat or your vegetables doesn't come in the house. That's what your day is, right? In the world we live in today, We go out into the workforce and we collect food coupons from our boss in the form of fiat currency, eventually central bank digital currency. You bring that home and then you're using that to go to the grocery store where you have no fear of being eaten by a grizzly bear or starving to death out in the cold. And so as the author will make the case... Even for the poorest person here in the United States, life isn't really that hard. There's always a safety net, right? So then what happens is, in this world, when things are taken care of and it becomes too easy, you start to adopt what's called surrogate activities. Now, we're going to talk about this. I'm going to break it down because we're going to talk about surrogate activities adopted by, I don't know, maybe you. You sit on your couch and you cheer on a football team and you say, there's my team. It has nothing to do with you. You don't own stock in it. You don't win a trophy if they win a game. Uh, All the way to these rich people like the aristocrats the author is talking about. But in today's world, right, the Klaus Schwabs, the Yuval Noah Hararis, the Bill Gates, the Mark Zuckerbergs, the Elon Musk, the Peter Thiels, the Jeff Bezos, these type of folks that end up with all these surrogate activities. Like, for instance, Bill Gates saying, well, I have enough money because I did Microsoft. Now I'm going to get into vaccines. Now we're going to get into population control. Now we're going to get into spraying silver up in the sky and aluminum in the sky to block the sun. See, this surrogate activity situation transfers from both you know regular middle class folks or even folks somewhat in poverty all the way up to these elites whose lives are so easy they now develop surrogate activities and they go out there and they're trying to play god this is going to explain to you why this happens how it's allowed to happen look if bill gates was living in a cabin in the middle of the mountains of west virginia And he was forced to go out there and hunt deer to bring home. And he was worried about some black bear eating him. Guess what? 
he wouldn't be uh, doing what he's done to this country, to this world, over the last few decades. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll be right back, not in a few decades, in a few minutes, as we step away for this short commercial break. My name is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard, right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. 